I invite you to turn now in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 40, verse 1 to 11, which is our scripture passage for us this morning. Again, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 1 to 11. Let us give our hearts attention to the reading of God's holy word. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries, In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up. Every mountain and hill be made low. And uneven ground shall become level. And the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news, lift up your voice with strength. O Jerusalem, herald of good news, lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Prior to this chapter, the prophet Isaiah has been warning God's people of coming judgment. Soon they would be exiled from their own promised land. They would no longer be able to worship God freely, and soon they would be taken as captives of a foreign nation, Babylon. You can look back with me to chapter 39, just the chapter previous, in verse 5 to 7, where we read this, that Isaiah, the prophet, spoke to the king of that day, King Hezekiah, saying this, Hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days are coming. When all that is in your house and that which your fathers have stored up till this day shall be carried to Babylon, nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And some of your own sons who will come from you, whom you will father, shall be taken away, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Well, that is some bad news that Hezekiah and God's people had to reckon with. It was not positive and encouraging. It was ominous. It was bleak. Now, we think about this. Why was this going to happen to Israel? Well, because Israel was God's church. 
which had grown complacent towards the things of God. God was going to punish them. They had been outright disrespectful towards God's law. They cared more about their own well-being than they did about the glory of God or the well-being of their neighbors. And sure, they kept up an appearance of godliness, worshiping God with their lips and their bodies, but Isaiah already laid the charge before them that their hearts were far from the Lord. They were lukewarm, and God was about to spit them out. But this left Isaiah, as a prophet, in between a rock and a hard place. Because Isaiah was not just a prophet of doom and gloom. He was also a prophet of hope. If you remember, all the way back to the beginning when we started this series in Isaiah, and we heard in chapter 6 the call that Isaiah received from God, what God told Isaiah his mission would be. He told him, go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. It's bad news. It's a rough ministry that Isaiah received from the Lord. And he says in response, How long, O Lord? And God said, Until cities lie waste without inhabitant and houses without people and the land is a desolate waste. And the Lord removes people far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land, and though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy seed is its stump. Now, the last verse there is key, because there God had laid out for Isaiah this picture that was bleak, ominous. The whole forest, which refers to Israel, will be laid low, cut down, and burned in judgment for their sins. But a stump would remain. The stump of Jesse, the descendant of the line of King David, the Messiah whom we believe is Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so, despite the bad news that Isaiah knew he had to declare to his generation, Isaiah always held on to hope in God's promises. President uh, Theodore Roosevelt once said that when you're at the end of your rope, tie a knot and hold on. A clever phrase. Well, that's what Isaiah is doing here. He's at the end of his rope, the end of Israel's rope, and he ties a knot and holds on. What does he hold on to? The Word of God. And I'm sure that Isaiah delighted to hear the good news that he finally had the opportunity to declare from the rooftops that God was giving him. The darkness of night would not last forever. Joy would come with the morning light. And so in this text, we hear three voices. First, we hear the voice from the herald of comfort. Notice in the beginning of our passage that God doesn't just say, comfort, my people. It's not just comfort. It's comfort Comfort my people. The repeated command here shows us the very heart of God. It suggests emotional intensity. What does this mean? Well, Christians, it means that God wants to comfort you. 
in your distress. He wants to calm your anxieties, your fears. He wants to remove your trauma and your insecurities. He wants to set you free from every weight and hindrance that is pulling you down. Christians, God wants to comfort you with his word of truth. He wants to comfort, comfort you. And that's why he repeats it twice. Well, we can't see it in the English, but the command here is plural. So all referring to a group sent out to send this message. God was asking for more than just one herald to speak of comfort. He wanted Isaiah and his disciples to spread out and share this good news with his people. He didn't want his news to be hidden under a basket kept in secret. He wanted them to go share it abundantly with any and all people who are willing to hear it. And that applies to us as well as Christians, that we are to share the good news of the gospel with any and everyone that is in our life and in our sphere of influence, to share it as opportunity arises and look for those opportunities as well. Now, how were they to speak it? If you look at the text, how were they to speak it? Look at verse 2. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. The Hebrew literally reads there, speak to the heart of Jerusalem which refers to both gentleness, kindliness, and persuasion, logic, reasoning. In other words, go gently persuade the people. Go win their hearts over to me with the good news about what I am going to do for them. Now, what was that good news? Well, look at the second part of verse 2. Cry to her that her warfare is ended that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. This was the good news. God was going to put an end to the punishment that they deserved by forgiving them all their sins. The pain and suffering that they would experience in their Babylonian captivity would not last forever. But in order to grant a full pardon, a full forgiveness, the Lord needed to receive double for all their sins. Because why? God is just, and his justice demands a punishment for our sins against him. Now, the Hebrew here for the term double for all her sins is a bit tricky. The word double means to fold double. So you can picture something folded doubly in that sense. The term is used in Job chapter 11, verse 6 to 7, where it speaks about the mystery of God's forgiveness. And there we read in Job, it says this, God is manifold, or double, that same term, in understanding. Know then that God exacts of you less than your guilt deserves. Can you find out the deep things of God? So, Commentators here say that this word is being used to refer to a two-sided nature in what is being declared. A surface-level understanding and a deeper, mysterious level that surpasses our understanding. And that applies very well here in our text because that phrase, her warfare is ended, in verse 2 is speaking about the punishment that God's people deserved for their sins against God. And it refers on the first level to their time in exile, their time in Babylon, in captivity. 
But that punishment was less than what their guilt deserved. They deserved far worse for their many repeated sins against God and complete rebellion. They deserve to be totally and forever cast off from God. And for the record, that's what we deserve as well for sinning against God and rebelling against Him, our Creator. So what then does this mysterious double payment for their sins refer to? Well, on that surface level, it referred to their Babylonian captivity. But on a deeper level, it referred to the future sacrifice of the servant of the Lord. The future sacrifice it would come. And in a few chapters, Isaiah, the prophet, will soon introduce us to this mysterious figure, the servant of the Lord. Isaiah said that this servant would come and suffer on behalf of God's people for their sins to redeem them and forgive them. We think of the great glorious passage in Isaiah 53 where it speaks of the servant of the Lord. It says, He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So what this means is that God was merciful and forgiving to his people Israel in Isaiah's day because he knew that his son would come. His son, Jesus Christ, would come and suffer on the cross for their sins. They were forgiven in advance based on the surety of the servant of the Lord and the sacrifice that he would give for his people. Their suffering would end. Their sins would be forgiven. All their iniquity would be fully pardoned. Now think about this. After the bad news that Isaiah has declared about their exile, this was a good message of comfort for them. But when would this happen? When? When would it happen in the timeline? Well, that's what we hear about in the next verses. It would happen when the Lord God himself came to his people in the wilderness, meeting them in their misery in order to reveal his glory to all flesh, forgiving them all their sins in person. Look at verse 3. We hear about when it would happen. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Now, does that passage, does that verse sound familiar to you? It should. It should, if we have read one of the Gospels in the New Testament, then we know that these very words were picked up by another prophet, a prophet by the name of John, the baptizer. In the Gospel of John the Apostle, chapter 1, we read this. It says, John said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. The next day... He saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. For this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. So when did the Lord God come to his people in the wilderness, meeting them there in their misery and revealing his glory to forgive them all their sins? When did that happen? when God's word became flesh and dwelt among us. And John said, we have seen his glory, 
glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus of Nazareth is the Word of God come to save us. The Lord our God came to die in the wilderness in our place in order to forgive us all our sins, to end our misery, and give us everlasting comfort through Him. And so the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians that we belong to the blessed God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction, and through Christ we share abundantly in comfort. So, beloved, I hope that your heart hears this morning from this passage this word of comfort. Because of Jesus' suffering in your place, the Lord has received double for all of your sins. And there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you believe in Jesus, you are totally and fully forgiven. And so then, let your heart take comfort in his steadfast love. Receive the good news in Jesus' name. Here is comfort for weary souls in distress. You belong to your faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who has fully paid for all your sins by his precious blood. The voice of comfort rings out this morning from Isaiah. Next, we hear the herald of conviction in verse 6 to 8. Verse 6 to 8, the herald of conviction. What has Isaiah come to realize over the years of his hard ministry? He has realized how fickle and faithless people are. The word translated here for beauty in the Hebrew is chesed, which typically means faithfulness or reliability. And so Isaiah is saying that all people are about as reliable and steadfast as grass or as a wild flower in the field. A single blade of grass lasts for about 40 days. Up and gone. A flower lasts for 7 to 12 days. They look beautiful for a moment and yet, soon they wither and fade away. Now Isaiah sees laying this challenge of conviction against people. He's not just speaking about the world here. Look at verse 7. Isaiah includes the church by saying, Surely the people are grass. The people refer to God's people, his church. In other words, all people are not faithful they are not ultimately reliable, including ourselves. We mustn't let our trust and hope reside with men or even ourselves. Now, why do we need to hear this? We really need to hear this. Well, so that instead of banking all our hope in our own selves, our own weak and fickle faithfulness, and instead of banking our hope in the words of others, Instead, we bank all our hope in the Word of God. For as Isaiah says, the Word of our God will stand forever. It is faithful and true. Think about this in Isaiah's day, in Jesus' day, in the Reformers' day of the 16th century. What do we find? We find the same godly wisdom of turning away from the traditions of men, 
to instead trust in the Word of God. Have you learned that wisdom yourself? Are you convinced of this truth? As Proverbs 35 says, every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. His word always proves true. Have you become convinced of that reality? Do you long for revival? Hopefully you do. Hopefully that is a desire of ours. Well, here's the solution for us. Ordinary Christians need to get back to the Word of God. I'm convinced we need another ad fontes movement in the church of God. Ad fontes is that Latin phrase for to the fountains. It means let's get back to the source. And that's largely how the Protestant Reformation happened. Men like Martin Luther and John Calvin rediscovered the truthfulness of God's Word. They devoted themselves to the study of God's Word, to the singing of God's Word, to the preaching of God's Word, to the praying of God's Word. If we want to see revival in the church today, if we want to see people turn to the ways of the Lord, then we need to get back to the Word of the Lord. We need to get serious about our study and devotion to God's Word. You know, we tend to lift up figures in history like Martin Luther or John Calvin, But remember what Luther lifted up. He lifted up the Christ of God's Word. At the end of his life, Luther said this, What is Luther? The teaching is not mine, nor was I crucified for anyone. I simply taught, preached, and wrote God's Word. Otherwise, I did nothing. And while I slept or drank beer with my friends, the Word so greatly weakened the papacy that no prince or emperor ever inflicted such losses upon it. I did nothing. The Word did everything. That is the conviction that we need to have. We need to believe in the power of God's Word. And the more we do, the more we will devote ourselves to it. Because we are frail, and our moral integrity is not truly upright. We are often faithless. And so instead, let us trust in the reliable Word of God, which will stand forever. And the Word of God breaks through our darkness, giving us good news of His compassionate grace. And that is the third voice that we hear. We've heard the herald of comfort, the herald of conviction, and now, thirdly, the herald of compassion, found in verses 9 to 11. Here, God tells Zion and Jerusalem to get up on a high mountain, find a a high platform so many can hear and herald the good news. He's speaking to his church of old, but he's also speaking to his church today. All those who call upon the name of the Lord. Now, what is the good news that we are to shout from the rooftops with all our strength? You see it? Behold your God. So Christian, look beyond your current difficulties. By faith, behold your God who is for you and with you. Look beyond your difficulties. First consider how the Lord God is in verse 10. Who he is, he is the one who comes with might and his arm rules for him. Now here it's interesting that the arm of the Lord By using that phrase, Isaiah is calling our attention to the personal strength of God in action. 
Later in Isaiah, he'll use this imagery of the Lord rolling up his sleeves, exposing his arms in order to save his people with intimate action and personal interest. We read in Isaiah 53, Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed, exposed? And then we read the prophecy about Jesus. For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. Christians, behold your God, who extended his arms out on the cross in order to bear your griefs, to carry your sorrows, and to forgive you all your sins. What's more, Isaiah says in the second part of verse 10, behold his reward is with him and his recompense before him. Now, what reward did our Lord Jesus win from his suffering on the cross? What recompense did Jesus walk out of the tomb with? His his own beloved flock. That's what we see in verse 11. The reward with Jesus and before Jesus is his flock of believers throughout the world. And what does Jesus say in John chapter 10? He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them in also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. You see, Jesus laid down his life for his own sheep on the cross. And now by the Spirit of God whom he has sent forth and through the preaching of the gospel, Jesus the Good Shepherd is gathering up each and every person that belongs to him by divine election. And now our Good Shepherd is gathering up even the weak lambs and carrying them, he says, close to his heart in his bosom. We are his prized possession. What is more, Jesus leads even the neediest among us forward in life by his strong and gentle care. And therefore, behold your God. Behold the good shepherd, Jesus Christ, your Lord and your God. You see, in the face of our fears and our failures in the Christian life, as we look to the darkness of the world around us here, we find in this passage God has given us his powerful and abiding word, a word of comfort word of conviction, and a word of compassion. Remember that God wants to comfort, comfort his people with the declaration that Christ has paid for all your sins. Your iniquity has been pardoned in full. God wants to convince us that his word is reliable and trustworthy. So don't trust in yourself, but rely always on his word, which stands forever. And lastly, God wants to compassionately this. He wants to compassionately carry you in his bosom all the way till you arrive in the green pastures of glory with him. You're in his very heart. So Christian, you are his reward. He wanted to save you. 
He came for you. He laid down his life for you. And he has sent his Holy Spirit to gather you up and to gently lead you forward. Receive his comfort this morning. Rely on his word and rest in his compassionate love for you. Amen. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for this word of comfort, this word of conviction, and this word that speaks of your compassionate love for us in Christ. Lord, we do ask and pray that you would work mightily, O Holy Spirit, with the word as seed planted in our hearts. May you give the increase and may it bear much fruit. Lord, teach our hearts to rest in you, to rely upon your word, and to receive always your compassionate love. Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, loved ones, let's respond to God's word by singing.